0: transformative change is possible. When Casper was most deeply committed to the white supremacy movement, he took it for granted that he would one day die for it. And a vision for how things would play out was beginning to take shape in his mind.
1: I had these really far-out freaking plans of when I do get out of prison, really bad things
0: are going to happen. Largely because of these plans, He was careful to avoid drawing attention to himself. He wanted to be sure no one would see it coming when he finally made his move.
1: I did everything I could to fly under the radar and keep it quiet that I was actually leading this prison gang, you know, and keep it quiet that we had a bank account, you know, with tens of thousands of dollars, because I had planned on getting out of prison one day and starting a war, or at least committing extreme acts of terrorism you know which in my mind at the time it wasn't terrorism it was me fighting for my rights as a white man
0: he looked to Timothy McVeigh the man responsible for killing 168 people in the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing as a model and he intended to carry out similar attacks
1: except with a lot more people you know do it on a grander scale than something like that And it was just going to snowball. It was just going to be a domino effect and hopefully start a war.
0: The rapid expansion of SPS convinced him that he would have no trouble recruiting people. And he had a pretty clear idea what he would do with them.
1: Oh, I I had plans on training people whatever skills I knew, you know, how how to survive out in the freaking wilderness or whatever, you know, how to hunt, fish, how to shoot.
0: Casper had seen firsthand how people can be weaponized. And while he himself wasn't content to be a pawn in someone else's game, he knew that there were plenty of others who would be.
1: Like I said, though, other people are like, yeah, I want to join that. I want to fight for you. And that's the person you could say, okay, strap this fucking bomb around your waist and go in that building. You know, it makes them dangerous.
0: Part of his motivation was ideological. In support of what he saw as a noble cause.
1: I wanted to go down in history as, you know, one of the great white martyrs.
0: But perhaps the deeper underlying root was his rage at society.
1: When I went to jail, when they convicted me, I think part of me, that's what it was. I just gave up on life like, fuck it. I'm not even going to try anymore. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. I will burn this fucking thing down, you know, and anybody that gets in the way... Sucks to be them, you know, I just, I lost all empathy, Um, gave up on hope, and just everything.
0: He shared some details of his plans with me, and it was clear that he'd put a lot of thought into them. When confronted with doubts regarding how much damage he really could have done, he responds with this.
1: How much damage do you think 2,000 people could do in small groups of 20, 25, 30 people spread out all across the state of New Jersey? It doesn't take that many people. How many people did it take to bring down the Trade Center? Not that many.
0: What scares Casper now is the knowledge that there are a lot of other people out there today who are still in that mindset. With modern technology, Such groups have the ability to network like never before, and he's afraid we won't be ready for them when they act. This is Hate No More, the story of one man's journey into and out of violent white supremacy. I'm Henry Rambo. One of Casper's most emphatic messages for us is that it's a mistake to dismiss extremists as morons and idiots.
1: I see this... All the freaking time, especially on that dumpster fire known as Twitter, everybody talking about, all oh, these people in the far right, you know, a bunch of freaking morons and backwoods rednecks and everything else. Listen, I'm not stupid. You know, I got sucked in by propaganda and, you know, bad ideologies that at the time I was I was vulnerable, you know, and they. They jumped on that. So don't think that everybody involved in the far right or these extremist groups is just some stupid backwoods redneck without an education. Some of these people have multiple degrees.
0: It's not that Casper feels insulted by the assumption that anyone who falls for the propaganda must be stupid. His point is that to dismiss them as idiots is to underestimate the threat. And by underestimating it, we make ourselves more vulnerable to it.
1: I think viewing them in that light makes them more dangerous. You're kind of just blowing them off like oh yeah whatever, you know. Listen, that's a very dangerous road to go down because you're not looking at the actual white supremacists. You know, guys that that train hardcore constantly. They're in the gym taking care of their body. They're learning how to shoot. They're learning survival tactics and everything else. And when they show up and do something, everybody's going to be like, oh, my God, how could this happen? Because you thought they were stupid. That's how it happened.
0: Casper's advice is simple.
1: Don't take them lightly. And And I see everybody putting up them pictures, you know, the fat out of shape guys trying to wear camo and everything and they're like oh the gravy seals and i'm like listen those are probably the backwood rednecks that you're talking about just trying to look tough and and think they're intimidating meanwhile there's guys that are that are like me who have all kinds of freaking martial arts training and everything else sitting in the background going yep keep watching them while we're over here getting
0: ready I ask him how many people he's talking about. How many there are in these groups that are watching and waiting. Millions.
1: I I know everybody wants to say, oh, these are just fringe groups. They're not. They're not the fringe. There are more of them out there than people think. There are millions.
0: Regardless of how accurate Casper's estimate of the scale of the threat is, it can't be denied that there is a lot of hate out there. There are people planning things. Casper knows because he was one of them. And they're always recruiting vulnerable, disaffected young people. One place where they lurk is in the prison system itself. Not just as inmates, but as corrections officers. Casper remembers one in particular who came to ask him for a favor.
1: He knew who I was, and he he knew I did tattoos. And he approached me one day while I was in my cell, and he says, Hey, you know... I want to talk to you later on in private. And normally that's not a good idea when you're in places like Rahway and Trenton. You usually always have another person with you so they can verify that you're not snitching. So I told this cop and I'm like, come on, man, you know, know there ain't no private conversations around here. He goes, no, you know, like I got something for you But I need a favor.
0: Casper again said no, but the CO, whom we'll call Zach, offered to meet in the presence of another SPS member, and Casper finally agreed.
1: So I go up there with Baron, you know, and I'm like, what's going on? You know, and he's like, I need a tattoo. I'm sorry, what?
0: Zach said he couldn't find anyone he trusted who could give him the tattoo he wanted. If Casper agreed to do it, he would get Casper all the ink and supplies he needed. Casper said he was interested and asked Zach for a drawing of the tattoo.
1: So he brings me in this drawing, and it was a skinhead wearing a bomber jacket. And it was, the image was a person standing up, but they got one foot out like they're kicking something. And over top of it, you know, on his left shoulder, he wanted H-A-T, hat. And on his right shoulder, he wanted R-E-D.
0: Together, the letters spelled hatred. And Casper says the bomber jacket in the drawing had various white supremacist symbols on it, such as SS bolts.
1: And I'm like, oh, wow. You know, like, you really want me to tattoo this on you? And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, dude, like, I don't know how we're going to get away with this. Your correction's officer, and He goes, don't worry about it. I got you know a couple of other COs that are going to cover.
0: So Casper gave him a list of professional tattoo supplies he wanted, and Zach agreed to get them.
1: So I ended up with this whole freaking kit of professional tattoo ink that I had in the prison system. Did his tattoo? You know it. It took us a while. You know I we sat down, and you know over the course of you know three months. I put this freaking white supremacy back tattoo on a corrections officer and had other COs that were keeping a watch for us and doing all his checks for him and everything else while I was up there tattooing him.
0: They did it right in his cell while everyone else was out in the yard. And Casper says it was an eye-opening experience for him.
1: I realized that there were a lot of white COs in that prison that were... That were skinheads and clansmen and involved in the movement. I think about that now, like, holy fuck, you know, these guys are supposed to be the good guys, and they are the furthest thing from the good guys.
0: He now sees them as the makings of a nightmare.
1: There were three COs, three corrections officers in a maximum security prison that completely violated everything in the rule books and got away with it. And nobody ever knew. It took three of them. You know, imagine what they could do with 15 or 20, you know. These guys decide it's time to kick something off. These 15 or 20 corrections officers get the prison locked down. Then they take the prison over, let all the other white supremacists out, which, you know, you could have a couple of hundred of them in a prison. So now you got a couple of hundred white supremacists, you know, hardened fucking convicts. And these guys decide, hey, you know, let's get you out of this prison, start giving you some weapons, we'll go to the next prison, you know, wherever. I mean, yeah, it sounds like a fantasy, but what if it actually ever happened?
0: Even if that scenario remains nothing but a fantasy, Casper says there are plenty of other problems with the prison system that need our attention.
1: Man. There's so
0: much that needs to change. First, there's the environment of violence and the effect it has on inmates. Casper vividly recalls one incident in particular that highlights what prison can do to people's minds. It happened while he was in a classroom working as a teacher's aide.
1: One of the students in the class happened to be up, getting, I think he was getting more papers or something like that, and he happened to look out and he goes, oh, shit. You know, and I looked up from my desk, you know, and I'm like, what's up? You know, he was like, check it out, check it out.
0: Everyone, including Casper, rushed to the window, hoping for some entertainment. What they saw was a man being attacked by four other inmates.
1: So we're all looking out the windows, and I'm like, oh, damn, that can't be good. You know, and then I see this guy pull out this freaking, what I think was steel anyway. It sure looked like a piece of steel, you know, and I'm like, damn, that's a big-ass shank. You know, I'm like, man... He's going to get got.
0: Casper and the other onlookers were just wondering where the COs were when an emergency code was called over the PA system. But by then, it was too late.
1: As soon as we hear the code, though, they finally cornered this guy, and they just started stabbing him over and over and over and over. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, he ain't getting back up. Like, that's a wrap.
0: It's been over 25 years since that happened, and Casper says he feels more deeply affected by it now. Than he was then.
1: While I was in prison, it was just like another one out, leaving in a body bag. Like it is what it is. But now, years later, it's like, holy fuck, you know, I was just like so fucking numb to that. That's insane, you know, that that didn't even bother me at the time that another human being was being murdered right in front of me and it didn't even phase me. Like that's fucking nuts.
0: Being immersed in that environment for years often makes inmates far more dangerous than they were to begin with. It's the opposite of rehabilitation.
1: You know, I don't know how many times I've seen guys get locked up for petty shit, you know, just stupid petty shit. And they go to prison and they become hardened criminals. And then when they get out, it's not petty shit anymore. It's serious. People get hurt.
0: Casper says that a lot of the older inmates, guys who've been in prison 15 or 20 years or more, are terrible influences on the younger ones, especially when they're getting ready to be released and they're transferred to lower security prisons.
1: They meet these younger kids, but these older guys aren't telling them, hey, look, straighten your life out. You know, for the most part, these older guys have given up like, you know, fuck this country, fuck this system. Soon as I get out of here, I'm going back to doing what I do, you know, which is tearing shit up. And they run into these younger guys and they start telling them, you know, hey, if you want to rob cars, this is how to do it. If you want to do stick ups, this is how to do it. If you want to rob banks, this is the best way to do it. Here's how you make a bomb. Here's how you can, you know, take a regular gun and make it fully automatic, you know, and they're teaching them all this shit.
0: As for Casper's thoughts on what should be done about this.
1: You got to figure out how to get these guys to want to have a life. Give them an education, give them programs, give them a reason to be a productive member of society when they get out of prison.
0: A big part of that would involve vocational training. Casper says that a lot of prison education programs were shut down while he was in New Jersey, and he would like to see them reinstated start
1: pushing for education again start pushing for counseling again i'm not religious myself but i've seen religion change guys and make them better people you know open all that shit back
0: up but a lot of the educational programs that are still available don't provide hands-on training often the inmates enrolled in such programs end up just reading about carpentry and welding in books
1: So even after you take that class and you get out and you go to get a job as a freaking carpenter and they're like, "Okay, well, how many times have you ever, you know, put together a, a, you know, a corner stud? Well, I know how to do it in a book. Never actually done it. Well, I can't hire you. You have no experience. So you're giving them nothing. You're just wasting time.
0: It's a difficult problem. He acknowledges that part of the reason for the reduction in hands-on training was safety. Some inmates would steal materials from their welding and carpentry classes and make weapons from them. Casper himself was stabbed with a welding rod in Rahway. Nevertheless, he insists that somehow inmates need to be given away to make a living.
1: Start teaching these people how to have a life. It's that simple. Stop showing them how to be fucking convicts and criminals. And show them how to have a life.
0: More training isn't the whole solution, though. For many inmates, the true root of the problem is never even addressed.
1: You got guys that are in prison, technically, yes, for committing crimes, but it's deeper than that. It's not just because they wanted quick money. There's something else going on, and we have to address that. Whether it be systemic racism, whether it be abuse from when they were kids, whatever, you got to start looking into it. You know, because I guarantee you, the majority of guys in prison, they're not there simply because they want to be criminals. They're there because there's something deeper going on and nobody cares.
0: Very often, precisely because there's something deeper going on, inmates are especially susceptible to hateful ideologies, which are more rampant in the prison system than anywhere else.
1: You know, and guys that go to prison, like me you know they get indoctrinated into these extremist groups and then they get out and they're hardened fucking soldiers now it's like they they don't think they're criminals in their mind they think of themselves as soldiers and eventually they're going to get to that point where i got nothing going for me i got this you know major felony conviction nobody wants to hire me Blah, blah, blah. So now I'm going to start fighting back.
0: He summarizes the effects of prison and indoctrination on himself as follows.
1: I had just become this horrible fucking person. But in my mind, I was doing the right thing. I was saving my people. I was going to stand up and be a soldier for my race because that's what was needed. And I got... I got stuck there in that mindset for 20 fucking years. And that's what prison does to people.
0: Based on this, Casper's verdict is unambiguous.
1: The prison system in this country needs a complete fucking overhaul because they're creating extremists. They're creating more violence and hate. And it, it can't continue to be that way. It can't.
0: The result is a constant stream of new people embracing hateful ideologies and spreading them just as casper himself once did
1: i don't know how to change that other than doing what i do you know debunking these ideologies and
0: and the propaganda and everything else and that brings us back to the question of how to change people's minds based on his own experience casper feels strongly that the approaches most people take especially in confrontational engagements on social media, only make things worse. Heated arguments and name-calling just cause people to dig in more deeply. So it's important to resist the temptation to attack people personally.
1: Stop calling these people stupid for having these beliefs. Stop using these ad hominems and treat them like people, and you might actually make a difference.
0: He cites Daryl Davis and Dia Khan as people who effectively confront hate with empathy. Fighting hate with rage, on the other hand, even when doing so feels justified, will seldom work because, in Casper's words,
1: You're going to get whatever you put out. You put out negativity, that's what you're going to get back. You want these people over here, you want them to stop hating, but at the same time, you're going to say how much you hate them. How's that going to work? You know, you're telling these people that you hate them for an idea. Don't hate them. Hate the idea.
0: Casper has tried arguing this point with people he's seen confronting white supremacists, only to have them accuse him of defending white supremacy. And that's been frustrating.
1: It's hard because it's like, you know these people want to make a better world. But that's not how you do it. You cannot attack the person, you have to attack the belief.
0: That is, of course, easier said than done, even for Casper himself. And some people may seem altogether unreachable. Casper certainly did. But as we've heard, it was people treating him with empathy, challenging his ideas while sharing personal stories with him, that ultimately changed his mind. It took years, but his beliefs did change. Decades ago, he wanted to start a war, to commit grand acts of terror and go out as a great white martyr. By his own admission, he had been willing to die for white supremacy. To highlight how far he's come since then, I ask him a simple question. What would he be willing to die for now? He takes a slow breath before answering.
1: Humanity. My grandsons. I don't want them... I don't want them dealing with these same issues 40, 50 years from now.
0: Casper's daughter, who was there at the beginning when the homicide on the boardwalk took place decades ago, now has two boys of her own. When I ask Casper how it felt to become a grandfather, his eyes begin to shine and he starts talking about his older grandson.
1: At first time I saw him, it was like, oh, wow, like... That looks like my baby picture, (laughs) you know? And I don't know, I was just so freaking proud, you know, like, holy shit, you know, I got a grandson. And I don't know, like, my initial thoughts were just as grandfather, you know, being proud, being happy, you know, and looking at this kid that, you know, my daughter had and like, being proud of her, you know, and like, okay, this is really cool, you know, and letting her know, Hey, if you ever need any help, whatever, just give me a call. You know, the whole, whole dad thing, you know, grandpa thing. And then I started thinking about it, like, wow, you know, I am so glad I got out of the movement, you know, cause what would have happened, you know, If I still had those thoughts and those ideas and. Would I even be here to see this?
0: Those thoughts only intensified after the arrival of his second grandson.
1: My other grandson, he's three. um, That kid's built like a fucking tank. (laughs) I don't know where he gets that from, you know, uh. His dad's a skinny little thing. My daughter, you know, she was always a skinny little thing. Um, and Both of them are really, really smart, though.
0: The pride in his voice is palpable.
1: Them boys, they're, they're going to be somebody.
0: Becoming a grandparent has given Casper renewed purpose and a sense of urgency. Of
1: course, you know, I think about what's going on now in the world, you know. And the groups that I used to I used to believe in and everything it's like How do I stop this For them You know How do I make this How do I make this A, a better world So they don't still have to deal with this When they're my age I want them to To know about this As history You know, I don't want it to be relevant in their lives. I don't know if that's possible. I hope it is.
0: As for Casper's role in making that hope a reality.
1: All I can do is just keep trying to tell people what I know. You know, what what I've witnessed for myself and what's true and what's not. You know, and if I don't know for a fact it's true... I'm not going to claim it as a fact, you know, but I know for a fact that whole white supremacist thing, any racist ideology is based on bullshit, all of it.
0: Casper's efforts to communicate that message have taken a toll on him.
1: It's tough sometimes, you know, you got to step back, you got to take a break every now and then. It'll burn you out fast.
0: And for now, he has stepped back and he is taking a break. Shortly after our last interview, he stepped down from his roles at the organizations he had been working with and closed all of his social media accounts. His family and his livelihood are what he wants to focus on now. When I asked how he wanted me to end this podcast, he told me to say simply that he lives with his family in an undisclosed location. And so that's where we'll leave Casper's story. I'm extremely grateful that he took the time to share it all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because I've learned a lot from it, and I hope you have too. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment right now, yes, now, to rate it, review it, and share it. To support us and get immediate ad-free access to all episodes, go to patreon.com slash hate no more, or click on the link in the show notes. Hate No More was written and produced by me, Henry Rambo. Sound design was provided by Michael Parkhurst at Nostalgic Innovations. Special thanks to my wife, and to Ryan, Allison, George, and, of course, Casper. Finally, there's more than enough outrage and hate in the world already. If you log onto social media at all today, instead of sharing what upsets you, do what you can to make kindness and empathy go viral. We all need to play a higher game. And with that, thank you for listening.